Father, please, as we look at your word now, please would you help our love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we would approve what is excellent. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, sometimes in our life we are faced with big decisions. Should I get married? Should I get married to this person? Should I move jobs? Should I move cities? Sometimes we have those big kind of life decisions. But actually, each and every day we are faced with many, many, probably about hundreds of choices to make in little moments. Right now, you might be uh, facing one of those kind of big life decisions. But even this afternoon, you're going to face lots of little ones. You know, and tomorrow morning, what am I going to do on my commute? That half an hour on the train, what am I going to do? Uh, will I or how should I respond to my colleague who's kind of made that kind of nasty joke about Christians? What car should I buy? Kind of because the old one's given up the ghost. All these decisions, how do we know and how can we know what is the right thing to do in those little situations? Well, I think we're going to find the answer to that in Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. Uh, the church in Philippi is, um, was back in uh, Macedonia, what we would kind of modern-day Greece. It was a city there. And we saw last week the formation of the church in Philippi. The Apostle Paul, one of uh, Jesus' messengers, he, he went there and was proclaiming the gospel of God. He was proclaiming the good news that Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive his people's sins for whoever trusts in him. All those things that James was sharing. And the first three converts in the place of Philippi, remember they were a complete, kind of disparate, random almost group of people. We had a wealthy worshipper, Lydia. We had a spirit-possessed slave. And we had a Gentile jailer. We had these three very different people, yet all saved by hearing the same gospel message. And Paul and that church, as soon as Paul left, they maintained contact, he maintained relationship with them. And Paul's love for this church is so clear right throughout the book, and particularly we'll see it today. Paul loves this church, and so he writes a letter to them. And the first thing he does, after introducing himself in verse 1 and 2, who he is, who he's writing to, the first thing he does is he praises God for the Philippians and he prays to God for the Philippians. And we're going to, this morning, look at our, our, these verses under those kind of two areas. So we're going to see, firstly, that Paul's praise encourages us to commit to gospel partnership. And secondly, we're going to see that Paul's prayer calls us to commit to what is excellence. That's what we're going to see this morning. So firstly, commit to gospel partnership. Have a look down with me at verse 3 as he begins, Paul begins his praise. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Paul is bursting with thanksgiving. That whenever they come to mind, joy bubbles up inside him and he praises God for them. Do you see that just in the language? I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always, 
in every prayer of mine for you all. He is so, so joy, thankful for them and joyful for them. As this week, I, I found this in my, my tray at the office. Um, somebody had left this for me. It was actually left before I arrived. But it's a picture of me and uh, some of the men from Patesel Church, the, the church in Hungary that we partnership with. And, and as I saw this, it brought back really happy memories of times. I went over a number of summers. And it brought back great memories of, of the different people there and the times that we had ministering to them and ministering with them. And that's just a kind of small way of what Paul feels about this church. And in fact, Paul, it's even more remarkable when we remember where Paul was. Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. He's in prison and he's facing trial and quite possibly the death penalty for his proclaiming of Jesus. And yet, even in that prison cell, when this church comes to mind, joy bubbles up inside him and he thanks God for them. Why does he do that? Well, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. We saw it last week, didn't we? Even from the very first convert, from the very first moment, partnered with Paul and the others. Lydia was converted and straight away she said, look, come stay with me. Use my house as a kind of base for mission in Philippi. They partnered with Paul from the very beginning and that's been maintained through about 10 or so years from the founding of this church until now when Paul is writing. It's a real deep and, uh, real and deep partnership. Uh, the word is, is also fellowship, which is a, a kind of good Christian word that I'm not always entirely sure what it means. But to have fellowship with someone is to share something in common with them. And Paul and this Philippian church had a deep fellowship. I don't know whether you're uh, interested, you've read the books or the films of the Lord of the Rings, but you know, this is Lord of the Rings' Fellowship of the Ring. You had all these different characters who didn't particularly like each other, but they had this shared goal, this shared mission, that the fellowship to go and destroy the ring. Well, Paul here has fellowship or partnership with this Philippian church. They have the gospel message that they believe in common. But more than that, they have the advancement of the gospel in common. And indeed, uh, they've partnered with him in, in, in speaking the word, in giving generously to him, and in praying for him. Uh, the, the, the occasion for writing this letter is because actually Paul's just received this, this gift, this money, that they've sent to him to sustain him while in prison. It was a real and deep fellowship, real deep partnership in the gospel that has been maintained over long periods. And so when he remembers them, he is joyful and he thanks God for them. What moves Paul to joy, and I think we can fairly say what moves God to joy is gospel partnership. And I've been so encouraged the six months or so that we've been here back at Lionstown is to see gospel partnership taking place. Because I want to help, well, I want to draw the distinction between these different things. Okay, there's a big difference between gospel partnership and being a gospel consumer, and even greater difference between being a, a gospel, sorry, gospel supporter and then a gospel consumer. 
Let me explain what I, I mean by these things. Uh, in my degree, I did a sports science degree, and I had a, one module there which was sports fans and the media. Uh, and we, there, time again, you drew the distinction between a supporter and a fan. So supporters turn up to sport uh, match, and they'll kind of watch along, enjoy the spectacle, clap at the appropriate moments, and, and then go home. A fan is someone who is committed. They're brought into that team. So they got the shirt, they might have the tattoo, they're standing on the terrace shouting their lungs out because they're kind of so involved with that team. And there's an even greater difference here when it comes to the gospel between a gospel supporter, sorry, no, let me get it right, a gospel consumer, somebody who kind of perhaps turns up to church and, and listens along and like, yeah, that, that's great. And then there's a difference between a gospel consumer and a gospel supporter, somebody who's kind of really bought in and loves it and kind of cheers everyone, everything on that's going on out there. And there's a difference again to a gospel partner, someone who's truly committed and um, bought into the vision and the, the spread of the gospel. Just it, it, We can see the difference that that makes in church life. Okay, a, a gospel consumer won't think twice about missing church on a Sunday if they're a little bit tired. Well, after all, church is put on for for them to consume, and so if they choose not to, well, it doesn't really matter. No one loses out. Gospel supporters, no, they'll be there at church kind of almost every week, and they'll say the creed with conviction. They'll give a big hearty amen at the end, and as they rush off straight at the end of the church service, they'll be, great job, guys, keep going, praying for you, and off they go. But a gospel partner, someone who is invested, well, they're going to serve sacrificially. They're going to pray faithfully. They're going to give generously. They're as much engaged after the service talking to people as they are during the service. They're going to be looking out for those who look a bit lost or a bit lonely, even if they don't know them, because they're part of the gospel work. They're going to be at Vineyard's midweek Bible study, even when they've had a really bad day at work, because it's not just about them, actually. It's about the others, and they want to encourage and support others there. They're going to serve committedly and faithfully on the, the, the team that they're in because they're part of the work, not just ticking a box, I've done my job for the day, but part of the gospel spread. Verse 6 is, is such a famous verse. Uh, I think we often don't notice kind of where it comes uh, in the book of Philippians. But you can almost kind of see the cogs turning for, for Paul. So he thanks God for them, verse 5, because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And you can kind of see anything, first day until now. Uh, And I'm sure of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is so clear to Paul that God has started a work in them. The partnership he's had, he's sure that, Paul, uh, that God has started a work in them. And what God starts, he finishes. Now, if someone like me, who is very good at starting things and not always very good at finishing things, that is wonderfully comforting to hear of God. I don't know if you're like me. You've got a pile of books like this on your, book, on your kind of bedside table or on the shelf, books that you've started but not finished. Or maybe some of you are thinking about the DIY project that's been going on for a couple of months. Started, but not finished. Not so with God's. What God starts, he finishes. 
Paul is fully persuaded that on the day of Jesus Christ, that is the day when Jesus comes back from heaven to judge the living and the dead, when everyone must lay an account before him, he is convinced that on that day, the work that God has started in the Philippians will be brought to completion. It will be finished. The transforming work that he's doing in their hearts, in their lives, will come to true fruition. Paul says some pretty big things here, doesn't he? This this incredible love that he has for them, this incredible confidence that he has in them, and and so he almost kind of feels like he has to justify himself. So verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you. The word there, right, is, is just. It is just, it is right that he feels this way about them because he holds them in his heart. Such love for them. And he holds them in their heart. Why? Well, verse 8, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. You see, uh, sorry, I missed verse 7. First of all, he has sharing God's grace in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. So, so, so united are they in this mission that when Paul is in prison for the gospel, it's, it's like they are as well. And we'll see later in the book that actually uh, grace can incl- God's grace includes suffering for the gospel. And they're sharing in that. He has such confidence in that. And his love for them in verse 8 is the love, not just himself, but of Jesus Christ. That the Philippian church wasn't without problems, and we'll come to that in future weeks. But it has been an active gospel partner with Paul. He loves them. They cause him great joy. But Paul isn't content for them. And so he turns from praise to prayer. And he tells us what he prays for them. And so here's our second point, is that Paul's prayer calls us to commit to what is excellent. Here's the big thing. Eternity makes Paul dissatisfied with Christians doing okay. Let me say that again. Eternity makes Paul dissatisfied with Christians doing okay. So let's look at Paul's prayer for them. Because we could think, hey guys, you're doing a great job, well done, keep going. But no, no, he prays for them. Verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernments, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless on the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the, praise, to the glory and praise of God's. What I want us to do, these are, this is Paul, this is dense. I want us to kind of trace the logic through of what he's praying. Starting point in verse 9, he's praying that their love would be increasing and abundant. Okay, he's praying, look, may your love abound more and more. Interestingly, he, he doesn't give the object of his love, of this love. Is, is it love for God? Is it love for other people? I think it's probably both. You know, they, they two go hand in hand. So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbour as yourself. Love for God goes hand in hand with love 
for others. And so I think the ambiguity leads us to, to think that it's probably for both. Paul prays that their love, their passion and commitment to God and his people would abound. But you see that this love is, is focused. It's not airy-fairy. This lo- ever-increasing love is to be constrained because we see it is to be with, in verse 9, with knowledge and all discernments. Uh, Don Carson, who writes this excellent book, um, Call to Spiritual Reformation, terrible title, but its content is fantastic. He goes through Paul's prayers in showing how they should shape our prayer lives. And he, I'll quote him a bit later on, but he helpfully kind of, to understand what, it, what does it mean that love um, has knowledge and all discernments. We'll kind of put the opposite in there. So if your love was to be abounding in ignorance and insensitivity, then that perhaps might help us understand a little bit more what he means. That love in ignorance and insensitivity can be, is sentimentality or mere emotionalism. But no, this love is to be constrained with truth. It is to have knowledge that is a grasping of the gospel message and embracing of it. It is to be discerning uh, it, um, and all discernment, so kind of a breadth of, of discernment in, in every area of life. So this is the basis of, 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 of prayer. If, you, if you're kind of a bit confused, it will, it will hopefully slot into place when we see the logic coming through. But that's the basis of his prayer. Would your love abound more and more with knowledge and all discernments? But we see that love is actually a means to an end. Because you see, verse 10 starts with a so that. So this ever-increasing love with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. The thing that Paul wants for them is that they would approve what is excellent. Approve is kind of to test. Um, So, you know, kind of in olden times, you get, get given a coin or whatever, put it between your teeth, test it, is it the real thing? Well, that's what this is. We would test, and if it is the real thing, you kind of accept and embrace. Paul is saying that would we test, accept, approve what is excellent? Literally, it's um, the best, superior. So some things in our lives, in Christian lives, are very obvious. So I don't know if you think visually this might be helpful for you. There are some things that um, are very obvious. So kind of thinking sinful to acceptable. There are some things that are right and wrong. So um, should I lie to my spouse because I forgot to do something that they asked me to do? No. That'd be sinful. Should I shout and swear at that driver who cut me up? No. Should I pray for people that I've said I'd pray for them? Yes. Should I be honest on my expense claim? Yes. They're, they're pretty straight, clear cuts, right? Sinful, acceptable, right, wrong. That's pretty, pretty clear. But what Paul is talking about here is in this section kind of between acceptable and excellence. Acceptable and best. So those decisions I talked about, those decisions that we face each and every day, He's not talking if it's right or wrong. We should know that. We don't always do it, but we should know that. Paul is talking actually about 
knowing the difference between okay, acceptable, and what is best. Knowing what is right and doing what is right. Knowing what is best, let alone doing it, isn't always easy. So it's not that kind of God, God drops this kind of knowledge bomb on the church and all of a sudden we, we know how, uh, what we should do in every situation. This is often hard to do. Therefore, this abounding, knowledgeable, discerning love is what enables us to approve and embrace what is excellent and best. As we know God more and more through his words, our love for him grows more and more. And as that abundant love for God overflows in love for others, and as that love is, is shaped by wisdom, as that love is growing more and more, we will test, know, embrace and commit to what is excellent. I want to just read quite, quite a long extract from this book um, because I think he gives some really helpful practical examples to, to know what it kind of means to prove what is best, what is excellent. What do you do with your time? How many hours a week do you spend with your children? Have you spent any time in the past two months witnessing to someone about the gospel? How much time do you sp- have you spent watching television or other forms of personal relaxation? Are you committed in your use of time to what is best? What have you read in the last six months? Have you found time for newspapers and magazines, a couple of whodunits, a novel or two, perhaps a trade journal? Have you found time for reading a commentary or some other Christian literature that will help you better understand the Bible or improve your spiritual discipline and broaden your horizons? In your reading, are you committed to what is best? How are your relationships within your family? Do you pause now and then to ref- and reflectively think what can do to strengthen ties with your spouse and your children? Do you make time for personal prayer, for prayer meetings? Have you taken steps to improve in this regard? How do you decide what to do with your money? Do you give a percentage, say 10%, of your income to the Lord's work, however begrudgingly, and then regard the rest of your income as your own? Or do you regard yourself as the Lord's steward so that all your money that you earn is ultimately his? Is your reading and study of the Bible so improving your knowledge of God that your wholehearted worship of the Almighty grows in spontaneity, devotion and joy? Just some examples of how in each individual moment, that half an hour before bed, the commute, whatever it might be, what am I going to do with this time? Now look, approving what is excellence looks differently for all of us. Uh, Carson makes the the distinction of of sleep, right? Some of us in this room will need six hours sleep and they're fine. Some of us need eight hours sleep and then they're fine. Whatever it might be, different different amounts. But however much sleep we kind of need to be fresh-ish for the day varies and therefore we're going to have different amounts of time to do other things. So there's no clear cut in one situation. What is best might be different for one of us as for another of us. I cannot, certainly I can't, even Paul can't give us a detailed explanation of what is best in every area of your life. So how does this happen? Well, we've got to pray. 
That's what Paul is doing here. He is praying for them. Will you commit with me to be praying this? Because for yourself, for your family, for your vineyards table, for the ministry team that you're part of, for our church family. Because as we pray that God loves to work, and as we pray our love would abound more and more with knowledge and discernment so that we would approve what is best in all of those little things. What is best? Paul isn't content with Christians just doing okay. Now, he, even this flipping church that's been doing well, he wants them to grow and abound further and further because of eternity. Because of eternity. That's what we see now. So we see that love is the, the means to an end to proving what is excellent. But even this has a greater and deeper end. So verse 10 so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Those whose love is abounding more and more will approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless filled with the fruit of righteousness, that is, in, in actions, in words, even in thought. They'll be filled with the fruit of, uh, of righteousness, filled with things that God approves of on the day when Jesus comes back. We already said at the beginning, didn't we, that God lo- completes what he starts. And Christians whose love is growing, who are approving what is best, will be filled with that fruit when Jesus returns. That we are to pursue what is excellent. We are to go after it, and Paul is going to give us lots of commands and helpful pointers for how we can do that through this book. But it is God, it's God who brings this work about. And that is why we pray. James was uh, clear. Why is it James was here today going down in the water? Well, it's because God began a good work in him. And we see right throughout th- these verses that it is God who does this work. So verse 2, start there, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Where does grace and peace come from? God. Paul doesn't then say, Philippians, thank you so much for your partnership in the gospel. No, he says, I thank my God for you. His confidence isn't in their great start and all they're doing. His confidence is that God finishes what he starts. He doesn't tell them, look, your love should abound more and more, okay? Your love's got to abound. No, he asked God that their love would abound. And we see in verse 11 that this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. And it is all ultimately to God's glory and praise. Paul's praise encourages us to commit to gospel partnership. Paul's prayer for them calls us to commit to what is excellent, not just okay. So that in those moments, big and small, we would know what is best, but more than that, we'd embrace what is best. We would do what is best. Let's pray that that would be true for us. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this letter. 
even hear what wonderful things we see in it. And we pray that our love, as we see more and more of you through this letter and in in our own Bible readings, that our love would be growing. And as our love for you grows, would our love for each other grow too. So that in, in every situation, big and small, that we would see not only is what is okay, but actually what is excellent, what is best. And that we would commit to that. Oh Lord, please work that in us through Jesus Christ and to his glory. Amen. I said last week that uh, really as a church family, really wanting Philippians to be in our blood, as it were, through this term. We really want to dig into it. And one way we can do that is by memorising some of it. You know, that process of, of learning it, you've got to go over it again and again and again. And once you've got it, it's easier to go over again and again and again. Um, and so I, what I've said is, is each week I'm going to give one verse. Today is like one verse and a quarter. All right, I'm cheating. But I'm going to give one verse that I'd encourage you to learn yourself, maybe as a family, uh, one thing to think on and treasure over the week. And you probably won't be surprised that the verse for this one is verses 9 and the beginning of verse 10. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so, uh, that you may approve what is excellent. So learn that if you want to give it a go. And pray that. Pray that, pray that, pray that. Uh, but equally, even if you're, you're not learning or on top of, it'd be a really helpful thing for you to do to read in advance what we're going to see next week. Maybe just once, a couple of times would be great just to read through, think about, pray about. Um, the verses for next week are down there. So it'll be verse 11 to the first half of verse 18. Thanks, Mark.